0: Well, it occurred to me that I did not manage to make any predictions for the concluding episode of the two-parter at the end of the previous Rockford Files episode, so I'm going to record this prior to watching it. In terms of the immediate cliffhanger, I predict that Doris, while tempted to drive away, will in fact do something to act as a diversion for the cops to enable Jim to escape. Jim will need to infiltrate physical dynamics in order to gather evidence, possibly working out a way to convince Alec Morris to work as a reluctant accomplice. In the end, the executive Leon Fielder will inadvertently do something which allows Rockford to engineer his downfall. All the bad dealings of the company will be exposed, and Jim will use the political capital of this win to get all charges against him dropped. I also imagine someone in the episode's supporting cast might die for the titular loss, but nobody we've seen prior to this pair of episodes. All right. now that I've watched it, let's look at Season 1, Episode 13, Profit and Loss, Part 2, Loss, which originally aired December 27th, 1974. The episode starts with a much longer recap of the first episode than they would ever do these days, but I suppose that's in part because if you missed the first episode, you missed it. No taping, no streaming, no anything else. Maybe your buddy could tell you the story beforehand. But otherwise, this summary was what you had available, right? So then the action starts. Jim with files in his hands, alarm bell ringing, police somewhere proceeding toward the scene. Jim takes a bunch of files and gets back to the car where Doris has turned around for a speedy exit. There is a chase through downtown L.A. before Doris loses the cop by driving into an underground parking garage and then quickly exiting again, while the cop presumably went in circles trying to find them. But the whole venture came up with no sign of any dirty dealing at the print shop. Rockford continues to pursue the case, revisiting Arnold Love, the accountant who reported him to Fiscal Dynamics in the first episode. Jim gets the name of someone else who might be able to help, but aside from having a helpful conversation, all he ends up doing is getting Fiscal Dynamics on that guy and back on himself, too. A set of goons drug him with a syringe and threaten him when he wakes. Jim tries to capture that goon, but they get away. Finally, Rocky and Jim chase down Fielder, who has taken the evidence of wrongdoing with him in a case. There's a shootout and more chasing, which the police are eventually able to stop. All of them are arrested, but the evidence shows fiscal dynamics really wasn't on the level, and charges against Rockford will be dropped. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. This is Mrs. Bosley at the library. We billed you for your overdue book, Karate Made Easy. We abuse our library. We don't get our cards renewed. All right, who is? This time we will go ahead and look at Ned Beatty, appearing in both parts of this story as Leon Fielder. Ned Beatty was born in Louisville, Kentucky in 1937. Warren Beatty is no relation, though Ned has jokingly referred to Warren as an illegitimate uncle. Ned started out acting on stage in Virginia, then back home in the Louisville area. When he made the move to screen, he debuted in 1972's Deliverance, and then also appeared in The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean and The Last American Hero on the big screen. On television, he appeared in TV movies and The Waltons prior to his role in these Rockford episodes. Throughout an extensive career in films and television, he played mostly supporting roles and was happy to do so. It's difficult to make a list of everything Ned Beatty appeared in, or even just a list of notable roles, so I will mention a few with the understanding there is much more out there. He was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his role as Arthur Jensen, a television executive in 1976's Network. He also appeared in All the President's Men that same year, along with Silver Streak and The Big Bus. He was in Superman and its Sequel, 1941, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, and The Toy. Later in the 80s, he was in Back to School, The Big Easy, The Fourth Protocol, and Chattahoochee, and had a recurring role as Dan Connors' father on Roseanne. In the 90s, he was in Prelude to a Kiss, Rudy, Radio Land Murders, Just Cause, He Got Game, and Cookie's Fortune. Since then, he was in the remake of Where the Red Fern Grows, Charlie Wilson's War, and had voice roles in Toy Story 3 and Rango. His last television role was on the late Matthew Perry's sitcom Go On, and his final film role in 2013's Baggage Claim. In retirement, he and his wife Sandra split time between residences in Los Angeles and Carlstad, Minnesota, Ned Beatty passed away in 2021 of natural causes at the age of 83. Artifactoids. The opening chase scene is conducted through downtown Los Angeles, especially the area around Pershing Park, which is built over the parking garage that aided in the escape from the police. We see a Pussycat Adult Theater and also a quick flash of the San Carlos Hotel at the corner of Fifth and Olive at the corner of the park. The San Carlos, so far as I can tell, was a rather unremarkable aging six-story hotel, but what I was drawn to in this case was the Ground Floor Restaurant, one of the Googie's restaurants that gave an architectural movement its name in the middle of the last century. The Googie style is marked by unusual roofs, which is mocked up in the facade for this location. Other elements that are common are starbursts, boomerang shapes, bright colors, neon, and lots of steel and glass. Easy points of reference for Googie style include the Jetsons or the iconic fabulous Las Vegas sign. The style fell out of favor, and not long after this episode aired, many examples of the style were renovated or demolished. In the mid 1980s, there was a renewed interest and push for preservation of the style in the LA area, though the original location of Googie's restaurant itself fell to demolition in 1988. So, what worked? Well, I liked the new Heavy, whose henchman drugged Jim. I also liked the increased presence of Rocky in this episode. And we did get an answer to what was in the garbage disposal. What didn't work? Well, honestly, I felt the second part was a mess. Almost all the people shown as players in the story during the first episode are absent from screen, and the end felt very rushed. Perhaps the previously on could have been shorter, and that time could have been added on to this one. And other than putting on pressure on Fielder until he hauled all the evidence in a big, convenient bag, Rockford didn't really solve anything. So next time is Season 1, Episode 14, Aurelie Farewell, which sounds a bit melancholic, I suppose. Happy hunting! You've been listening to the One Idget's Thoughts On podcast produced by Paul Mackey in association with Nimlas Studios. Any short clips of audio from shows is included under Fair Use for commentary purposes and copyright for that content remains with its original copyright holders. The theme song is Too Good by Jack Mangan and is used by his generous permission. One Idit's Thoughts is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. You can find more episodes of this podcast and many other fine podcasts at nimlas.org. You can contact me by emailing idgitcastpodcast at gmail.com or commenting on episodes at nimlas.org. I guess this means that the financing fell through for Otisville.